Well, good morning and welcome everybody. Thanks for joining us here at Portico. No matter how you join us in person, online, the most important thing is that you do join us. And we are in a series called Life Hacks. And we've introduced the concept of life hacks to some people. It's where we look at an object or a way of living and we get a brand new perspective on it. And we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus delivered. It's in, found in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7. And he actually gives us life hacks for our relationships with each other, our relationship with God. But I'm giving you some um, real life hacks that you can use in your day-to-day life. If you don't want to apply the spiritual stuff, hey, at least you can apply the fun stuff. And as we've been in work from home or doing school from home, I don't know if your house is anything like my house, but I have like adapters that I have to plug into my computer if I want to have uh, a second screen or if I want to plug in any kind of um, earphones or headphones or anything like that. So there's cords all over the place. And one of the life hacks you can have is if you take one of these binder clips and you just clip it on to the side of your desk or side of your computer, these little holes right here are perfect for organizing cords and they'll just sit right in there and then the cords can hang down, the mess goes away. So if you're OCD or if you just want, if you're maybe disorganized with your cords, get a few binder clips and then you'll have a better and more organized work from home. We're making your life easier and making your life more organized. But of course, we do want to get into our scripture and into our, our Bible verses for the day. Uh, and our, our service today is actually called How to Have a Successful Marriage. And we see Jesus giving us life hacks on what marriage looks like and what uh, success in marriage. So let's play a little game. And if you're in the chat room, I'm going to ask you to enter the number one, two, or three based on the questions that I ask. So what percentage of marriages do you think end in divorce in our country here in Canada? So if you think it's 50% or more of marriages end in divorce, I want you to enter a number one. If you think it's, nah, it's not quite that high, it's more like 35 to 50% of marriages in Canada end in divorce, then I want you to enter a number two. And then finally, if you think, actually, it's pretty low, I want it to be less than 35% of marriages in Canada in 2021 and in divorce, then I want you to put in a number three. So number one for 50% or more. Number two, if you think it's 35 to 50%, or then if you think it's below 35, enter a number three. We'll give everybody a second to put in their guess, and the winner is going to win nothing other than the satisfaction of feeling like they have won. But our answer is actually in 2021, a survey was done, and we are presently at about 32% of marriages are ending in divorce. And the highest number that's in actually growing is what they call gray divorce. And that is people over the age of 50, they've lived a number of years together, 10, 15, 20 years. And at that point, they're starting to feel like they're separating ways and they, and, and they divorce in higher numbers than we've ever seen before. Younger people, on the other hand, are actually getting divorced at a decreasing rate, but we actually see them getting married at a decreasing rate. So people are waiting longer in life to get married. So those numbers kind of relate naturally that, that way. 
And we always knew that people that got married at very young ages, like between the ages of 18 and 25, those marriages often ended in divorce at higher numbers, but we're seeing less and less of that. What we are also seeing is arranged marriages or even semi-arranged marriages. Those numbers used to be very, very successful in staying together long-term. As the stigma of divorce has kind of decreased in different cultures, we've seen more and more of uh, arranged marriages ending in divorce. So all in all, I would say we're not getting better at marriage. We're not necessarily getting worse at marriage, but we aren't we aren't exactly knocking it out of the park when it comes to finding successful marriages. So today, as we look at this topic, how to have a successful marriage, reading out of the Bible, Jesus is going to give us some understanding at how we move forward with this. Now, in churches, we've always done marriage prep as a couple is, uh, after they've gotten engaged and as they're getting ready to be married, we always take some time and we, we, we work with a couple, maybe we have two or three sessions, maybe seven or eight sessions, and we talk about our relationships. And it's always kind of interesting because if you ask the spouses of most pastors, they would not say that their spouse is an expert in marriage. It's always actually kind of a funny thing when, when we have Catholic priests who are giving marriage classes because you think, well, you're never going to be married, so why are, you giving, um, why are you giving marriage advice? And so for a few weeks every year, we have pastors that kind of get into this expert role, and at times we feel a little bit fraudulent because we think, I'm teaching you something that I've not even figured out 100% for myself. But here's the thing, we, we as pastors and priests, we're never supposed to give wisdom based on our own expertise or our own experience. We were supposed to be teaching God's principles. We're supposed to teach that, hey, if you try to love without understanding the principle that love requires sacrifice, then you're not going to love well. If you try to broaden the boundaries of sex to make it go outside of marriage, then it's not going to go well. And what we're going to study in this week's Uh, key text is that Jesus identifies that the covenant that we make in marriage is both a physical and an emotional covenant. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open it up, either open up your app or open up your paper Bible. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 5, and we are going to be reading in verses 27 through 32. Jesus gives a life hack for marriage, and, and Jesus shifts the conversation away from just the physical relationship of marriage And he moves it to the concept of of purity and innocence. And so for today's message, you don't have to be married. Uh, You don't even have to be moving towards marriage. This is something that we can all understand and embrace. It has practical application for each and every person who's participating in today's service. And what it does is it gives us the proper mindset, the life hack for what Jesus wanted us to understand about sex and relationships and purity. So we have three thoughts for you. If you're taking notes, get your apps open, and that's the best note-taking experience, or you can take a pen and paper. Here we go. Number one, purity begins in our hearts and minds. The general concept that we're going to be looking at this week is actually the same general concept that we looked at last week. It's a totally different message, totally different application, but the concept is the same, that, that what happens inside our inner thoughts and feelings are just as critical and important to our lives and to, our, to the way that we honor God as our outward actions are. Now, I could spend hours 
talking about emotional health and the way that we process things because I uh, went back to school a number of years ago, became certified counselor. It's a place where I've given a lot of attention to and I think there's a lot of value there. But, but today I'm not here to talk about our emotions. I'm here to teach the Bible. And Jesus gives us a picture of what God honoring sexuality looks like and what that looks like is purity. Look at verse 27 and 28 in chapter 5. Here's what it says. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, and and adultery is sex outside of marriage. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now Jesus is speaking to men, but this is culturally contextual. So this actually applies to both. Anyone that looks at another person with lust has already committed adultery. Now there's, there's a lie in our society that looking is fine as long as you don't touch. Anything that happens inside our minds or in our hearts is okay as long as we don't act on it. And that's why the sexualization of the way that we dress has been okay or, the, or it's actually be, be, become something that defines us as attractive because it's our bodies and we can do with that what we want and we want to accentuate that. But, but the damage to our purity is actually being done in our minds long before we ever act on anything. And God honoring sexuality or purity is sex between one man, one woman in a marriage. That's the biblical teaching. Now I know that as we participate in this service that there are many, many people who have same-sex attraction. I know that there are many couples who are ready for sex in their minds long before they're ever ready for marriage. We see people waiting to get married longer and longer. We know that dressing and acting provocatively are not only okay within our culture, it's actually something that's valued within our culture. I'm I'm not here to debate any one of those things. Completely understand that that's where many people are. It's just that none of those things are God-honoring. And they lead us to a place of impurity. Now, I also want to be clear that Jesus taught that salvation, to be in right relationship with God, happens by faith alone. And Paul added that that none of the works that we do or none of the right ways that we live actually helps us get closer to God. And he said that that is done so it, it can avoid us from boasting about how good of a person we are. But if we were to survey our entire church and say, how many are in same-sex relationships or fluid relationships? Or, or how many relationships have sex going on inside of them outside of marriage? Or, or even how many people have sexual thoughts that are happening because of the way that we dress ourselves or the way that we see someone else dressed or the way that we act? I would hazard a guess that there would actually be a majority of people that are in that boat. And yet, God still loves and God still includes us in his family. So we as a church operate the same way. We, we understand that there's impurity happening, but we are still family and we are still in God's family. That's what the story of salvation is. Salvation is broken people coming to faith in God and understanding that he takes our brokenness and he makes it whole. But for a successful marriage, if you want the life hack, it begins by understanding that God actually designed marriage only one way. And purity is when we focus all of our mindset and all of our energy on God's teaching, not on what we feel like doing, not on who we are. 
David would write it this way in Psalm 119 verses 9 through 11. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. With my whole heart, I will seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Listen, if, if, if you're not reading the Bible for yourself, if you don't know what it says in the Bible and you don't, you don't hide it in your heart, you don't store up God's word, then living a life of faith will be extremely hard. I was recently meeting with a young person and they were having questions about their sexuality and, and how, do, how do I live a life as a person of faith when I feel like I have questions about my sexuality? And they were completely unsure of what the Bible said about it. <laughs> they, they had heard things, but, but they had never actually spent time reading what Jesus taught or what the Bible taught. It was all based on assumption. Can I, can I just encourage you, read the Bible for yourself. Study it. Ask questions about it. Get around other people that are reading it. And that, that's why each week we give you Bible readings that are in our app and say, read these five to ten chapters every week and this will help you understand the Sunday teaching better. Or maybe you have your own reading plan. It's totally fine whatever you read. Just get into reading the Bible so that you are evaluating your faith and your life not based on assumption, not based on feeling, but based on God's word. Because that's where purity begins. God-honoring sexuality, which is purity, begins inside of our hearts and our minds, which is the place where we should be storing up God's word. Okay, the second thought builds on that is that self-denial is part of biblical purity. Our culture teaches us to be who we are, and actually to lean in to the things that we feel. Why would we deny our true selves? If we have a feeling, then we should act out on that. I want to suggest for you that leaning into your feelings is a very dangerous game to play. How many times when you were, when you were young did you have this overwhelming feeling that I need to just run away from my family because my family's mean to me. My family doesn't like me and I, I, should, just, I should just run away. So e- even as, as a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, a 10-year-old, we have these feelings like, ah, I gotta get out of here. If you had to lean into that feeling, very dangerous habit. Let's make it a little bit older. How many times did you feel like giving up on school, like you couldn't complete high school or college or university? How many times have you been in a job where you feel like, ah, I, j- I just can't take it anymore. I can't take one more day. I should just walk away from it. Or a relationship. How many times have you felt like a relationship really isn't working and this is just pointless? You've had a low moment. You've had a low season. If you had to listen to your feelings, you might have thrown away something that was so pure and so, or so helpful or so important for your life. In fact, we know that today, it's, the number is greater than 90% of, of high schoolers and young adults will have suicidal ideation and feel like they don't want to live anymore. We can't pretend that every feeling we have is helpful for us, nor can we pretend that every feeling we have is right or true. There are all kinds of feelings that we have to question. And Jesus actually teaches in this passage, the Sermon on the Mount, that as followers of God, there are going to be parts of our thoughts and our lives that we need to question because they're not God-honoring. Okay, open up your Bible again. Go to verse 29 in chapter 5. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, this is, this is graphic. 
It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, I talked about this last week. This sermon is hyperbole. It's not literal. What what Jesus is teaching us here, he's not actually saying, go and gouge out your eye because anyone that looks at somebody um, and you go, wow, that person's super attractive and begins to have thoughts in their mind. Nobody would have eyes. (laughs) this This is Jesus helping us understand who God is and how we can honor God. But he uses this extreme example so not only that we would know that, that Jesus got it, how difficult this is, but that we also may need to be extreme in our response. Because what feels right for us may not actually be right for us. And accepting every feeling we have as helpful and true is not only dangerous, but it will ultimately lead us away from God. Our feelings will betray us and put us into places where we don't want to be. Consider this, it, it's, it's, it's late at night, we've got two young adults are over at each other's houses, and it feels awkward at some points to go home. There's, there's nobody else in our culture that is abstaining sexually, so, so why would we do that? Well, because self-denial and learning this is actually part of a future that, and a marriage that is learning to be God-honoring. So it, it's part of it. A, Working and living against what feels right and what feels common is part of preparing ourselves for marriage. Our LGBTQ community and now QIAAP community. Jesus is teaching here. He says we need to examine our hearts and there might be parts of our sexuality that don't honor him. It feels right to us, but don't honor him. And what's really been interesting over the years as a church and as a Christian community, is that, is that we separate these two. We say, well, there's, there's heterosexual couples that are in sex before marriage, and that's one thing, and then we've got this whole other piece where it's same sex or fluidity. And you know, actually, it's all the same. We're talking about biblical purity. And biblical purity, let's go back to the root. It's one man, one woman in a marriage relationship. That's where biblical purity and sexual, uh, sexual purity is. And it's all the same, <laughs> but the, the Bible make, doesn't make a distinction where we've tried to make a distinction. And what's so critical to remember is that Jesus gives this sermon on the mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, not as a way to try and make us feel guilty, not as a way to try and make us feel ashamed, but it's to help us better understand what God's design was so that we can function more like him. He's, he's recognizing that, that his followers are not functioning like he designed. And so, in the, I mean, in a couple of weeks, we're going to give a message that is just titled, Be Perfect, or God Expects You to Be Perfect. This is, this is really a fantastic summer series where we are looking at expectations that none of us can live up to and trying to understand what, it, what is the life hack that Jesus is giving. So, so listen, this is, this is not hate speech against different communities. This is just truth speech, that you and I have impure thoughts and actions, And to pretend that we don't leads us either to repressing feelings or it leads us into places of self-righteousness or or it leads us away from God. And really what Jesus is trying to do is is call out that there is stuff in our thoughts and in our minds and in our feelings that he's actually asking us to become more like him. He would even call it out if you go to the book of Luke and 
got the verse on screen for you here, Luke 9 and 23. Then he said to the crowd, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. It's in the reason that we would go through this process of self-reflection and self-denial. It's not because it feels good, but because it leads to a successful relationship. That is the focus of this talk, is how to have a successful marriage. And our final thought for today is that purity is critical to a successful relationship. I am, I am not a marriage expert. Don't claim to be one. Um, my expertise comes in psychology and in the Bible. That's where I've spent my years of research and study. I've, I've spent years of learning on the job in marriage, but I wouldn't call myself an expert in those fields. And here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that divorce is allowed. As long as there was unfaithfulness, divorce is permitted. You can see it back in the book of Exodus. You can see it in Matthew 19 and 8. Divorce is permitted because God understands that sometimes hearts break and it's, it's just too hard for us to forgive. But the reason why this talk on Sermon on the Mount and today in our service is about purity is for two reasons. Number one, if we can maintain purity in our thoughts and in our actions, then it will actually save our marriages. If we, if we could figure out purity, then we wouldn't go through this kind of heartbreak. And secondly, if we could learn to forgive the same way God did, if we could forgive with purity, it would save marriages as well. Think of the concept of sin. Sin, whatever it is, a thought, an action, it makes us impure. It makes us separate from God. But then God, through the sacrifice of Jesus, sees us as 100% pure again, even though we're not. Even though we've done something to break the relationship, God says, I, I cover that all up and I see you as pure again. And God's plan includes the ability to make what was impure, pure. And there are all kinds of relationships, people participating in today's service, who know that their relationship is marred by impurity. Somebody cheated. Somebody sexualized somebody else. Somebody turned the relationship that you're presently in into, into a mess. And forgiveness done God's way actually restores purity. Completely forgiving someone that broke your heart is probably one of the most difficult things to ever do and it's probably one of the most concise ways to demonstrate the love of God. There are, there are millions of people in marriages that are feeling permission to give up. Or even in relationships, just, just feeling like, you know what, I can't forgive and I actually feel permission to walk away. But in our key text, Jesus doesn't actually permission us the same way as Moses did. Look at verses 31 and 32, chapter 5. You've heard it. You've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say, a man that divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. Je Jesus goes, you know what the law is, and you know what you can do, but I want to call you to something greater. I want to call you to forgiveness and purity. The North American perspective is that God wants us to be happy. God wants us to be holy, not just happy. Happiness can come and go. 
Holiness will carry us through the difficult seasons. And, and holiness is embracing all of God, who he is, his spirit, and living in the way that God has called us to. We've embraced this false gospel that says, what God wants for me is just to follow my heart, follow my feelings, and, and be happy. And Jesus is going, no, I'm actually calling you to something so much greater than happiness. I'm calling you to holiness. The goal is not to have the most fulfilling life here on earth. It's, it's actually to become more like God, which is what he's revealing in this Sermon on the Mount. And that happens when we extend forgiveness to somebody who needs it, but doesn't deserve it. And that includes broken relationships. Underscored with, if we're in an ab- abusive situation where our safety is being threatened, get safe first. This is not about leaving ourselves in a place where we're being neglected and abused and we're causing harm to ourselves. We can get safe, yet still participate in the ministry of forgiveness and reconciliation. You can forgive someone that doesn't deserve it without staying in a place where you're being abused. So, so please understand that. That's not at all what I'm teaching or what Jesus is teaching here. He is teaching to make, uh, what, what he is teaching is to align our hearts with who he is and extend forgiveness. Ephesians 5 and 25. This was Paul teaching the church about what marriage is. It says, husbands, love your wives. Love them just as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her. This is, this is Jesus coming to earth to a people that didn't deserve it and saying, I'm going to sacrifice my entire life so that you feel loved. See, marriage done God's way, and, and, and this is why I can give counsel, or a priest can give counsel. I, I'm going to share with you what the biblical perspective of marriage is. It's giving up all of your personal rights. It's giving up the right to care for yourself. It's caring more for the other person, and caring for their needs more than what you need. Of course, it's trusting that that other person will care for your needs just as much. And that's the amazing thing about when two parts of a marriage are working well, they will sacrifice for each other and both will care for each other. And if what the other one needs is forgiveness, is a second chance or a third chance, or what Jesus would teach Peter and the disciples, 70 times 7 chance. You can figure out what that number is for yourself. (laughs) Then it's given. Because that's what a successful marriage looks like. It says, it's not what I need, it's not what I want. It's what they need and what they want. Listen, I hope you're encouraged today. Too too regularly, we we read the Bible with the wrong lens. We read it with with this lens that God is happier with us because we're doing well and we're living up to 100% of what we see there and, and, and he's upset with us when we're not. No. <laughs> God loves you, period. He's asking you and I, would we trust him, period. If you trust God with your salvation, will you trust him with your sexuality? And say, I would do it a different way, God. <laughs> I don't see it, but, but I'm going to trust that what you've laid out, purity, with <laughs> the way that you've defined sexuality, with the way that you define relationship, 
I'm going to live that way. Because the concept of purity can't be defined by human standards. It's defined by God's standard because it's his. And the thing is, to live the life of purity that he's talking about in Matthew chapter 5, it actually can't be lived out under human ability. It can only be lived out with God's spirit and by the power of God's spirit. And of what I speak about, trusting him for a different way, trusting that his way is better with your sexuality, with forgiveness in relationship. If, if all of that seems impossible to you, um, you're in the right starting place. <laughs> because we need to trust that it's not with my effort and my power and just my goodness that I'm going to get there. It's God's spirit in me that allows me to love this way, to trust this way, to forgive this way. And that's why receiving his Holy Spirit is so critical because we cannot live this life without him. And so if, if that's not something you've experienced, God's spirit in you, I, I'd encourage you, I'm, I'm going to pray for you in a moment. I encourage you to join us. We're having a prayer service in our online campus in all of our in-person campuses this Wednesday. And we're going to be believing that God is going to fill people fresh with his Holy Spirit. I challenge you, join that prayer time because it is so critical. You want to live this life that we're reading about in Matthew chapter 5 and walk out these life hacks. You're not going to be able to do it if you do it in your own strength and your own energy. Join us as we pray for God's spirit. But today, what I want to pray is for the people participating in this service that feel like I don't get it and I don't feel like I can do it, but I want to risk faith in Jesus that he will allow me to do it. I want to pray with you. And then our team is going to lead us that just sings a song about how we trust that God you'll give me the joy and the peace and the goodness and the faithfulness and the gentleness and I will live that life I will take my steps of faith on those principles and I will follow you let me pray for you this morning and then we will respond Jesus thank you for who you are God thank you I don't have to live up to the standard of perfection, but that you offer me more chances. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you do work in our hearts that we could never imagine possible. Holy Spirit, I pray that you begin to give us the ability to trust you. I pray you give us the ability to forgive only as you can forgive. God, I pray that you restore purity to individuals and couples that never thought that it was possible. God, thank you Thank you that, there are ne that we never run out of chances when it comes to you. God, I pray we begin to see our lives and our relationships through this lens. And we would know, God, that you have what's best for us in store. God, would you help us to live out lives in this way? And we pray this all in the name of Jesus.